0: required. Wow.
1: 4th of September 2013, episode 126 of The Skeptic Wire. Yay! I am your host tonight, Donna Swafford. Hi, Donna. And joining me tonight is Gregory Prine. Hello. How are you doing tonight, Greg?
0: I'm okay. We are a little light this week. Um, it seems that.
1: No, we're not. There's no way that you and I would ever be described as light.
0: Well, it, vocally
1: that makes more sense the, because there's an empty chair
0: the crushing time constraints of grad school have finally caught up with gary so uh we're giving him at least a week off we'll see how his schedule can work out and we'll uh let you know in the coming weeks uh how he's doing
1: so what you're saying is is that for the next couple of episodes we may be snark light
0: we'll see how we can do on our probably own probably
1: not we will we will attempt to to make up for the...
0: More likely to start ripping each other's eyes out, that's all.
1: Ooh, cat fight! Oh, <laughs> uh, Sure, yes. <laughs> well, as usual, do we have a birthday
0: tonight, Greg? We do have a birthday today and tonight, and um, for a few more hours, at least as of this recording, the person we're talking about today is alive
1: then happy birthday
0: yes and the person who we are talking about tonight is male and he was born in 1958
1: 1958
0: okay no fingers moving so she's not googling it he is a television personality
1: Ooh, that's kind of cool that's
0: a fairly big clue
1: Mm, still no idea
0: a television personality that is a doctor.
1: Not a real one, but plays one on TV. He, <laughs> Sorry, that had to come
0: out. That's fine. He is a doctor. Ooh. Uh, I believe he is uh, technically an internist, but also I'm not sure of his credentials in the way of psychology, but he does do some stuff along those lines.
1: Hmm. The only doctor actor that I can think of, is the guy that was in the hangover movies who was also in community
0: um not necessarily an actor i don't know if he's ever played parts but he's a television personality
1: is it dr oz no oh thank god (laughs) because i was oh i was a
0: i would have been a little bit more mean about did you you know saying he was a doctor otherwise
1: no i got nothing
0: he's um thinking clues hold on he is fairly good science wise. He has had some problems. Um, there have been things like they're not entirely. There have been some accusations that he hasn't fully disclosed that he was given money by some pharmaceutical companies to talk about their products on the shows he was on.
1: Ah, uh, oh, and, and, oh, I know who you're talking Works about.
0: Works a lot in addiction medicine.
1: Oh. Then I don't and I've, I've lost it because I thought it was um, the vaccine guy.
0: Nope.
1: Doctor, I, Oh, Dr. Drew, Dr. Doc, whatever, yes. Oz, whatever, d- 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 one of those fake doctors on TV. Well, he's not a fake doctor. He's, I'm sorry.
2: He is
0: an actual doctor. Um, the reason why I brought him up is because sometimes he's a little kind of, well, good, but kind of he's, he's not a good. He's not a bad. He's not an ugly. He's kind of an he's a and rogue man? element.
1: <laughs> he's kind of actually meh, because on one hand he does a lot of profiteering off of people's pain and suffering, but on the other hand he does some good.
0: Yeah, he. it doesn't seem like he's mooching off the pain of others like some er- certain other television doctors, but it's more like he's pretty good about things like addiction, which he's actually fully trained in. But things like when he was on Loveline and the other sex advice stuff he's given have been kind of outside his speciality. So I think he may be talking a little bit out of his, his ass sometimes. Right. So Big on like things like sex addiction.
1: So what you're saying is, is that if you have sex questions, go to Dan Savage. If you're worried about all the coke that you just snorted, call Dr. Drew.
0: Yeah, because he is good about addiction. Um, Except but, for
1: that whole celebrity rehab thing, which yeah. kind of was profiteering, in my opinion. Yeah, I I, I don't
0: blame you for, for thinking that way. But it, it, he does say that he tries to do stuff like that to show how problematic drugs and alcohol can be. Yes. And how much of a problem they are in our society. And if you can show Andy Dick, for lack of a better name, actually getting off drugs, then showing that it can have a positive effect on people's lives... Then, now, if
1: they could just show Andy Dick to how to quit being a dick, well, that would be a
0: masterpiece with hard. his last, last name and all that. But um, so yeah, it's kind of a, a weird. Not sure if he's horrible. Not sure if he's good. Um, but the other option this was this week was to talk about John DiMaggio, the guy who does the voice for Bender on Futurama, and there's not much on him besides the fact that he's on a fairly skeptical show futurama until well well, tonight i think
1: (laughs) well this is what i was i was this is kind of one of those weird tie-ins that i that i go to it's kind of like um and i can't remember oh the political columnist and commentator bill whittle this week okay i don't know if you saw this basically she said that if you were if you were raised on Superman being the ultimate in pop culture and everything else, it meant you were proud of America and proud to be a Republican and, and embrace Judeo-Christian values. But the problem is today, kids are being raised in the family guy culture, which is not American and not good. And, and, all, and it was just like, really, family guy has destroyed America. I was like, we're giving a lot of credit to Seth McFarlane.
0: It's it's more of a a, a symptom of the existing destruction of America if you're going with it that way.
1: Yeah. And the other argument that I wanted to make was, Bill, dude, Superman's an illegal immigrant. Okay? Your party would be kicking his ass out back to Krypton. Even though Krypton doesn't exist anymore.
0: Well, you'd think that Part of the problem with the illegal immigration thing in our country is the whole quota system where, like, the same number of people can come in from Mexico as from Sweden or something yeah. like that. Well, he's only one guy from Krypton. So,
1: so yeah. He, he'd probably he was, meet
0: the quota and he'd he, he got
1: He got fast-tracked.
0: Right. But he'd have to deal with the Doe Dream Act thing because he was brought here as a kid and then right. grew up. And, okay, yeah. So it's yeah. problematic. But I'm sure they'd figure a way around it.
1: But actually that leads us into our next segment which is the whack One of our stories that has been circulating amongst Facebook and the internet is this really great map of the world. And it's got Japan, you know, the center of the the Tohoku earthquake, which caused all the Fukushima emergencies and everything else. And basically they're saying that 300 tons of radioactive water seep into the ocean every day and it's now going to come to America and... And I guess turn us all into chupacabras or something. I'm not really sure. Now, they've got this really great map, and it's very colorful. It's got, you know, nice bright blue and purple and black right around Japan. And then it follows the currents. And we got a little bit of yellow, you know.
0: I'm sure there's a lot of scary red where most of the radiation is, that sort of thing.
1: Exactly. The problem, and there's always a problem, is that this map is not tracking nuclear discharge whatsoever. It is actually a plot created by the National Ocean and Atmospheric Administration immediately following the earthquake showing wave height.
0: So this was the the actual tsunami itself. This is a graph showing from the epicenter outwards essentially what was the strength wave height thingy of the tidal wave itself that it did cause problems with fukushima yep but it isn't the aftermath of fukushima
1: you got it
0: yeah that's yeah there's a lot of scaremongering stuff that's been going around on fukushima the last couple of weeks I haven't researched it at all, but things like all the the radioactiveness from Fukushima is finally going to start hitting the the west coast of the United States this weekend. Or there's like don't eat the fish type stuff that always don't don't go
1: get sushi, which sounds really good right now. (laughs) Sorry.
0: Yeah, just lots of scaremongering about Fukushima. But they
1: actually do, Snopes does a really good job of addressing that, basically saying that if it was spilling out radioactive material, the chances of it actually being radioactive by the time that it gets to the United States would not be that great. Basically, we, we as a country don't need to worry about it for our health. We should be worrying about it for the Japanese people.
0: By the time it gets to us, it's almost homeopathic levels. Yes. Because it's a big freaking ocean, but it is a problem. Right. Just like a little bit of mercury adding up in the fish too much could be a problem. But right now, the Japanese government seems to be not doing great in containment. They're trying to freeze around Fukushima to stop yeah. you know, ground seepage and stuff like that. So they're trying some things. Maybe they're not completely succeeding. They need to build better plants or shut down the ones that don't aren't up to code or something like that but yeah
1: that might be a good idea it's not
0: as scary as people on facebook are just blindly forwarding along yes and there was another one you saw that was going around facebook this week yeah
1: well it was a news article actually and it's the new tylenol cap has to have a warning label that basically says that it contains acetaminophen which is Tylenol. tylenol right what people were not understanding is they'd buy their bottle of tylenol and their bottle of acetaminophen and they were taking too much and so tylenol actually has now to label the top <laughs> that says this is acetaminophen right this is right back to read the label of what you're ingesting <laughs> not really a whack a but one of those things of hmm maybe you should think before you do that.
0: Yeah, if someone says, "Oh, I'm not feeling well. I have a fever." And someone says, "Well, you should take two tablets of acetaminophen." And someone else says, "Well, I think you should take two tablets of Tylenol." And someone takes two of each. That's a problem. That's not. Right, not because good.
1: there's there is a limit it can cause, too much acetaminophen can cause liver problems. You shouldn't take it if you're drinking alcohol. There's a bunch of things that you need to take into consideration any time that you put anything into it. Which is why they always tell you, if you're taking an herbal supplement or or you have other problems, always tell your doctor so that he can make adjustments with your pharmacist about the medication that you're taking. Yeah. Because, but this is all over the counter. And so nobody ever thinks to ask their <laughs> pharmacist. You know, hey. What is this? Is this Tylenol?
0: Right, and we've we've talked before about people not thinking that the herbs and supplements that they're taking might possibly have an interaction with their their drugs, and there are things like it may interfere with you know heart medicines or uh, chemotherapy. I think sometimes yeah. gets interfered with by some herbs and medicines. Google it; you'll figure it right. out. Right, it's just
1: like a lot of antidepressant and epilepsy medication you can't eat grapefruit. They don't know why. Right. But grapefruit has an adverse effect on these particular medicines. So they say don't do it. Same with like Adderall to treat ADHD. You're not supposed to have citrus. Hmm. So listen to your doctor. You can have some adverse effects.
0: Right. You take a vitamin C pill so you don't get scurvy, but no limes and oranges. and
1: Exactly. Lemons. Stop the margaritas. And we got one last one, and that is, there's a great video going around the internet right now. And it is, looks like it's going to be an outtake on the new Star Trek DVD, which I believe comes out this month. I think so, yeah. it is Simon Pegg getting together with the makeup department to basically prank slash punk the entire cast and crew of Star Trek.
0: Okay, what's the nature of the prank?
1: basically they went and convinced everybody that the the building that they were working in because of all of the stuff in it basically like it was there was like loose neutrons or something i mean they played this this whole they set up this whole story and that people had to have cream special cream dabbed in little dots on their body before they put on their makeup to protect them
0: OK, so this would be the big like reactor room yes. set or something from the Star Trek movies yes. that and doesn't look as you know, slick as the old movies. It actually looks like a functioning like boiler room or something. Exactly. And these movie props they thought actually had neutrons flying everywhere.
1: Right. And so what they did is I, what I'm guessing is, is they didn't expect the joke to become as successful as it did. Because there's a scene where Zoe Zaldana is walking around prior to actually doing her part in the film and she's got little dots and they've got that and they're showing the neutron cream and it's this little tiny tube of, it looks like cold cream with a pre-printed, not a pre-printed, but like just a label that you get out of a label maker. Okay. And so what they did is they were, like, going around to people and they'd be, like, talking to them about the neutron cream or have them read something about it. And it would get to the bottom and they'd be like, you realize this is all bullshit, right? And they'd be like, <laughs> Arr! Uh Two of them, Carl Urban and John Cho, who play Bones and um, Sulu, are sitting there and they're doing this viral video. And they basically go, poked! Because <laughs> they're pulling the cue cards. And the last one is basically... You've been punked.
0: Right. <laughs> Showing how easy it is to fool those crazy, crazy Hollywood people. Who... Yes.
1: So science geeks finally um, <laughs> kind of got their, their their one up on, on Hollywood. Cool. So um, we will put that in the show notes so that you guys can go take a look at it. Have a good laugh. Because I personally laughed my ass off.
0: Chuckled a bit. Yes.
1: No, I didn't chuckle. I laughed my ass off. Okay. I was just like, ah. My whole office was like. What's so funny? I think like, you have to watch this. And they didn't find it as funny as I did.
0: Well, hmm. they're not science geeks like us.
1: Nope.
0: And speaking of victory for science geeks.
1: So we're actually gonna get into a little bit of science right now. I mean, we've had our, our fill of pop culture now. We'll talk about scientists have confirmed a new element. Yes. It's really neat. It is element one fifteen. And some Swedish researchers out of Lund University created it by slamming atoms of calcium into americum. Exactly. And basically it lasted for a flash and then it was gone. But it was enough to detect it, enough to label it, enough to prove its existence. And so it's right now it doesn't technically have a name it is being listed as ununpentium which for you latin and greek geeks means one one five (laughs) what they're hoping with being able to create um stuff like this is that they're hoping to create more elements like that some that are more stable
0: yeah from what i know a lot of the ones that are man-made that are like above the i mean the The general rule of thumb is that the highest numbered element in nature is uranium, about element ninety two, with with some traces of a few others higher than that. But mostly, most often, the highest is uranium, and then everything above that we've created ourselves. Right. Well, so things like plutonium and, and stuff like that, nep-
1: neptunium, right? I'm we found naturally, but
0: right. But mostly, it, those are just trace elements. Right. Whereas everything, including plutonium above that, we've created ourselves in the lab. And some things like plutonium stick around for a while, and we can obviously use in things like bombs and nuclear reactors and child's toys. Um, Ooh,
1: that was the (laughs) volcano I always wanted with your own (laughs) plutonium. Does it come with yellow cake? Or is that?
0: Well, if you have the right light bulb, I guess, in your Easy Bake Oven. It seems like a lot of the numbers on the higher end of the periodic table tend to be ones that decay really, really quickly. We haven't been able to... a matter
1: of of milliseconds. Yeah,
0: exactly. We really haven't been able to create a whole lot of stable versions of them. So it's great that we were able to create these higher level versions and it proves scientific theory even more that it's possible to take an atom of 20 size and 95 size slam them together and you get 115 eventually but the idea that we're we're going to create like new polyalloys and you know these are new substances they're going to be used every day
1: dilithium crystals
0: it, it, yeah we're a little we're, I, I, that's a little bit of wishful thinking from some of the science articles but who knows we may have we may find that this one weird element at the high end of the periodic table is for some strange reason actually stable and we can make some kind of fuel out of it but not right now
1: well the great thing about um unpentium is the fact that it was created before by the russians in 2004 but they didn't get enough I guess, measurements or whatever. And I, so they've I, I been trying just... to recreate it for quite a while. So now they've succeeded. Whether or not it actually gets on the periodic table is up for review, I guess. It has to be approved by committee. Kind of probably one of those weights and measures okay. sort of things, only with chemistry and physics, guys. Actually, yes. The, yeah. the
0: groups are named the... I, I'm a little worried about the names of these groups because they sound a little
1: Wooly? fascistic.
0: The International Union of Pure and Applied Chemistry. The International Union of Pure and Applied Physics.
1: Yeah, it's uh, that a little pure word in there yeah but it's also got a little bit of woo. Like, we're pure. We're pure chemistry. What about you? What do you got?
0: <laughs> yeah, the, the, the no true Scotsman ar- ar- um, argument about uh, chemistry of, you're not doing real chemistry.
1: Right, unless it's pure chemistry.
0: Exactly. But
1: with that being said, of course, there are some skeptics. About no. Let's, let's not
0: give them enough respect to use the S word.
1: Pseudo skeptics,
0: wackaloons.
1: Uh, I like wackaloons. Um, there is a website called Ghost Theory, and I highly recommend that you go and check it out um, and rate it on your web of trust if you so feel. I have, and we can guess how I rated it. This article cracked me up.
0: Because it's on ghost theory, but even they are being derisive of the guy involved in this story.
1: Right. It it starts out for, for those versed in the wacko fringe of UFOs. And yes, even within the fringe belief of UFOs, there is a contingent so far out there as to be referred to as the wacko fringe of the fringe. The announcement of Element 115 raised a few eyebrows. And so basically this guy came in and he said, you know, there was this one guy named Bob Laser and Laser, you know, worked from 88 and 89 as a physicist, you know, at Papoose Lake, which was on the, the, you know, southwest edge of Area 51 and, you know, hidden military and research of extraterrestrial aircraft and, and flying saucers. And he was using reverse engineering to figure it all out. You know, he's like, this is UFO fuel.
0: Oh, the Element 115. One
1: five. Right. It appears that nobody can actually find this guy. That's kind of my understanding. No,
0: they the guy exists, but all his credentials Jules. are bullshit. Yeah. So he keeps claiming that he went to, like, California Institute of Technology or MIT or something like that. And... There's absolutely no support. There's no documentation of him ever being any there. They'll look around, and it's the kind of thing where he claims that he's worked at Area 51, but there's there's yeah. no substantiating documentation that he was ever there. The, uh, other people in the science world don't know who the hell he is. So uh, I don't know about that. But he has been, I'd say for the last 10, 20 years, something like that, been kind of involved in at least being a figure in the whole ufo area 51 kind of conspiracy crazy business
1: right because so, i mean there's let's admit it there's crazy and then there's bat shit crazy and it appears that this guy's kind of fallen into that latter category yeah,
0: but it does keep him employed on being like on you know mysteries of the unexplained or whatever you know latest bullshit thing discovery channel or the learning channel is giving us this week to go along with ghost hunters learning
1: channel and the not quite discovered channel yes exactly (laughs) but yeah like i said i mean according to this guy this bob laser which you know is kind of the perfect name for a ufo scientist (laughs) (laughs) you know that it's nuclear fuel um reportedly provided an energy source which would produce anti-gravity effects under proton bombardment along with antimatter for energy production.
0: Yeah, that kind of... I didn't quite follow how one element, no matter how heavy or whatever, like a heavier element would have... suddenly have anti-gravity effects. Like all 120, 30 other elements on the periodic table respond normally to gravity and yet this one one, element must be the source of all like dark energy or something like that and and is anti-gravity you can produce anti-gravity out of it whereas you couldn't with say a block of carbon
1: right exactly there's just there is so much wrong with this guy's statement like it's i mean when you've got other people who are on a fringe belief going We don't want to be associated with this guy. We're going to tell you about this guy, but we don't want to be associated with him. He's the friend of the fringe. You've got a social problem. (laughs) Okay? You don't just smell bad. You've got a problem.
0: Yeah. And if you're featured on sites like Ghost World or OpenMinds.whatever or, you know, all that kind of stuff, and you don't actually have your own website that we can go rate on Web of Trust yeah something's a little wacky there
1: <laughs> exactly so you know it's great we've created a new element we've proven it we've done all the science all the research so far to say hey look look what we can do you know that the the whack jobs are going to come out and go oh no <laughs> About you know
0: yeah, there's always going to be someone. There's some health news that the Health Ranger or Natural News they'll come in on if it's like vaccines or something, or or something mm-hmm. to do with the latest research in what we can do better with crops by crossing specific genes. And then the the Greenpeace anti-GMO crowd comes out and basically this
1: goes, "It's Franken food and it's going to eat you from the inside
0: out." Exactly. There's there's always going to be certain usual suspects. So. I'm I'm guessing maybe this guy, Bob Lazar, had been keeping this Element 115 in his pocket. Maybe he's been saying, well, we haven't been able to create it yet, so that must mean it's aliens who are doing it. So it was kind of a God of the Gaps thing. And now that we've gone further on the chain of proof to have replication of other labs being able to create 115, he's jumping on that bandwagon, having claimed before... Maybe yeah. 115 was the nuclear fuel because we humans, we can't do it.
1: Right. And it all gets back down to this, you know, aliens have been here the entire time, blah, 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 yeah. blah. You know, it's it's a cyclical argument. <laughs> you know, we found it because of the aliens who have been here and gave it to us, therefore proving that aliens are here.
0: And it's just giving me a headache. That circular yep, pretty logic.
1: much. Because I don't do circular logic very well. <laughs> I like my logic straight. Gotcha. Do we have anything else?
0: Yes, we do. Um, we have a few studies this week. It seems that... Ex- are good. Yes. Uh, especially for podcasts when you need material. <laughs> it seems that extended lifespan has been in the news a bit this week. So we're, I'm going to go through a few different studies on living longer.
1: And not Dianetics.
0: No, I... I thought Dianetics was just living better. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? It's Scientology. I don't really pay attention to it. So um, the first one I'm going to go into was published uh, this week on in the journal Cell Reports. And it actually has gotten a bit of traffic, I've seen at least on Facebook, which is that the National Institutes of Health uh, ran a study on mice. And they didn't really say how many mice, but they took some mice and they changed their expression of the gene called mTOR, little case M, uppercase T-O-R, mTOR. mTOR. And they reduced the expression of that gene to about 25% of normal. So not 25% less, but 75% less. So if it usually produced 100 grams, it's now producing 25 grams. So that's the kind of thing. And they're saying that's the bare minimum that beings need of this protein expression in order to just to survive. Okay. And it seems like this gene is related to metabolism and energy balance. Um, But what they found is that the mice that they changed this mTOR gene with uh, lived on average about 20% longer. It was, Slightly different for males and females, but there's always a difference, males and females, at least in humans. So it wouldn't right. surprise so- me that there are in um, mice as well. Uh, but So they lived longer, but also of the population of mice that they studied, again, I couldn't find any paper that was telling me how many mice they played with, but uh, I guess enough to make it statistically significant. Yeah. Um, of the population of mice, of the top eight longest living mice in their study... Seven of them were the mtor changed mice.
1: That seems pretty significant, even yeah. though it's a, a small amount. It's the start. Yeah,
0: it would re- it would translate to I think about sixteen years in humans. And yeah,
1: because I guess the average lifespan is what seventy six and seventy three or something along those lines, seventy five or something.
0: Right. So they did find longer life, but they also found some other effects. Some things that were positive is it seems that the mice in, like, um, the running aroundy tests, uh, mazes, um, had better memory. And I guess balance is something else that was tested, or coordination or something like that.
1: Obviously, they're not going to test me on this stuff. (laughs)
0: Um, There was some benefits to... I don't know how they tested posture in mice, but the articles I read said posture was better. Um,
1: Probably looking at the i would assume it would be like x-raying them and, and seeing how the, curvature the discs and the curvature spine, and everything
2: hmm.
1: well m- probably more the discs see how yeah. compact they are and because that's what posture does for you is it elongates those squish that we slouch <laughs> I, and we I go don't we're know. gonna squish maybe. it and make ourselves smaller
0: on the other side there were a couple of well, one is definitely a negative, and the other one is kind of, eh, okay, whatever. It's Most of the mice that were in the mTOR reduced group were smaller than your average mice's. Mice's? Mouses. Mice. Mice. Thank you.
1: It's mice is plural yeah,
0: already. You shall, yeah, I you know. <laughs> but there were also, in the group with reduced mTOR, there was a, a greater loss of bone volume as the mice got older. So it seemed to have kind of a osteoporosis kind of effect. Which may have something to do with the metabolism that is affected by mTOR, but it seemed like the effects of mTOR had different effects on different organs. So, say on the brain, it had kind of a positive effect. It it increased their memory as they got older, and um, I guess their balance. But there were things like their bone structure kind of suffered a little. little. So, it's not like we're going to go out and genetically engineer all our human babies all of a sudden...
1: To, to turn on this one specific gene. Right.
0: But it could be that identifying how this gene works could lead to treatment of things like aging-related diseases. Maybe as someone gets older, you feed them a whole lot of calcium supplements to keep their bones dense, and you try to negatively affect the mTOR protein that gets produced to maybe increase memory when it's really necessary you kind of do that cost benefit analysis to say alright is it worth it or yeah. you know it's it's possible but all this kind of basic research into a gene and what it does and its effects on specific organs and specific tissues as they get more information on this it'll just be better for the greater sum of human knowledge not just specific disease treatments Right,
1: and, and that's the thing like we don't know what the effect is you turn one gene on, you, you increase its potential, you put it into overdrive. We don't know what that's going to do to other stuff. Yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's back to the, the herbal argument. <laughs> it's that you you know you're taking this and you don't know what it's doing under normal chemistry. Add in a prescription for lowering cholesterol, and you could have this potentially fatal medication mix up and that's what's happening here is that it's it's simple okay we see it affecting here we need to study it as a whole though yeah. and that's where they're finding the osteoporosis and everything else and you do you have to take you have to take the good with the bad
0: right and it's it's a complicated interactive system that Evolution has slowly but surely balanced over the years. I'm sure there was some point where some gene duplication first created this mTOR gene and only started to begin to create those proteins. And there was a small effect that was small, slightly positive for whatever it was doing. And then slowly but surely those interactions that worked maybe led to more expression or less expression. Maybe some other mouse mm-hmm. or bacteria tens of millions of years ago that had 15 copies of this mTOR gene produced way too much of the protein and this bacteria just died a horrible horrible death and that's why they don't have such strong expression of this gene exactly And evolution found a happy medium which is what the creationists don't understand
1: so is there any more news about living longer and living better
0: i yes definitely there's two more to go And I will try to be relatively quick. Um, Another study dealing with essentially genetics and proteins produced by, I assume, certain genes. There was a study of the Brant's bat, B R A N D T, which is apparently, I don't know how to describe this best, but has the longest lifespan for the body size it has in natural in natural. In nature, the rule of thumb is that bigger animals usually live longer than smaller animals. So, say, elephants live longer than mice. Right. Which live longer than bacteria. You know, kind of that general spectrum there. But it seems like the Brant's bat lives unusually long for its size, which is just this tiny little, like, palm of your hand, four or five grams size of a bat so it's a little tiny little bat but it could live to on average about 40 41 years old which is kind of strange because a mouse that size would maybe be a couple years yeah and people always say that bats are rats with wings so what are you going to do about it
1: kind of how i feel about them but
0: so what they did is they did a genetic analysis of the brant's bat and they found that at least there are two big spikes in differences in expressions of the growth hormone receptor protein or gene. I'm not entirely sure exactly how reading this. But also the insulin-like growth factor one receptor. The so if-one-er. If, okay. If-her. If, if, well, they, i I'll Let's have. just stop. So there's the growth hormone and the insulin-like growth factor thing. Okay. That it seems... They didn't really go into much detail on what the changes were, whether it's more production, less production, or slightly different protein is produced. Um, But differences in those protein production sequences seem to be in link with longevity. And since there are differences in these growth hormones, they're both growth somethings that may also have something to do with the small body size. So it's kind of related to the first study in that you know, you've know you got a small body size and your metabolism is slightly different, so you're living longer. It, it's kind of connected to those studies that we talk about every once in a while where they say uh, reduced calorie restriction changes your metabolism. Right. And at least in mouse studies can make mice live longer. It seems that something in the not growing as big but still having all the other normal – genetic traits of a, of a bat of a bigger size means that they live longer but they're smaller. Right. So they take
1: on more of that longevity aspect as opposed to the size. And it's probably, you know, evolutionary. I mean, we see there was a we see stuff like that happening all the time where certain things will a prime example would be orangutans because orangutans live in a single male, multi-female, and juvenile system that once that male juvenile is, quote, mature of age, right? he's thrown out. But what they have found is, is that a lot of these juvenile orangutans can actually pull a what looks like delayed maturation. Okay, They're, they're fully mature in every sense of the word. They just don't look it. And so they can basically go out and, and hump many of the females in the group.
0: But outwardly, they kind of appear still They still appear
1: under, as juvenile. And then so that maturation period is taking longer. So they're, they're basically more protected during that time. And they're still getting out to spread their seed as orangutans do.
0: So essentially, orangutans are the original grower, not a shower.
1: Yes. Okay.
0: Well, but it's, I, it's the yeah. same thing. You know, I, I, I think with these bats, the idea was, well, since they have to be in caves and they're hibernating and they need the small spaces, more of them fitting together means more they can fit in the cave. They can hide from predators if they're smaller. And they just happen and, to live longer because they're smaller. And, and they don't
1: need as much food. Yeah. There's, you know, size does all of it has many benefits yeah not only being big but being small and like we saw with neanderthals and we've discussed this numerous times sometimes being the bigger one is not necessarily better because your caloric intake to support that size is so much greater mm-hmm. and then if you're in a food crisis sorry the bigger guys are gonna lose yeah. out
0: so food crisis leads us to the final article that i'm going to discuss are we talk what? about food Well, kind of. We're going to talk about microbes that probably basically have been starving for thousands of years.
1: Man, that is one hell of a diet. Yes, exactly.
0: So first of all, there's not a lot of food where they are. So what we're talking about is bacteria that are found in rocks deep, deep in the earth, most often uh, below the seabed, just way, way down something like one or two miles below the ocean floor, that kind of thing. They're in rocks that are hundreds of maybe tens to a hundred million years old, that sort of thing. And apparently these bacteria are still there and they're hanging out. And they're technically alive. There's a bit of an argument amongst people who found these microbes of well, are they just really, really slow metabolism, long lived? Maybe they go into like a a hibernation like sometimes if you blast a space shuttle into space and there are microbes on the outside and it comes back those microbes are still alive they've done those kind of tests to see if microbes can survive out in the vacuum of space and maybe they just do some kind of hibernation and then once they're back in a favorable environment they start back up again maybe that's the case with these maybe they just live really really slowly really really longly longly god i can't talk this week Because down beneath the surface of the Earth, there's not a lot of food. Right. So these, these microbes are not only starving, but they're really, really spread out. So your average kind of little hunk of rock on the surface of the Earth will, even if it's just a hunk of rock, will have billions of little bacteria floating around in there, making their way amongst the atoms of the rock. Whereas down deep below, there's maybe thousands in, or a thousand or a couple thousand in in comparison to billions. There's a lot of space between them. So maybe that's good for food, but that's really, really bad for reproduction. So it seems like these bacteria, in addition to not eating very often and not and living long, it seems, maybe... I don't know if it's that individual bacteria are living really long or they just evolve very slowly, but it seems like they also reproduce very slowly, which means they're only reproducing maybe once every thousand years. That's a long time to go between some. So it's interesting to look at these microbes to to find out, are they actually living long or are they technically kind of, well, not dying, but not metabolizing for thousands of years and then just like um, what's the the mud flapper lungfish or whatever that lives in the desert. But when it finally rains, they come up to the surface, they reproduce and then go back down and hibernate yeah. or um, any kind of desert flora and fauna you right. want to look at.
1: They have you know, once again, it's that specific reproductive strategy like we saw with the, the mudslinger or whatever it is. it's very, very specific. It lasts for a very short time. And they basically go, oh, my God, fuck like like bunnies. Yeah. And done. Bye.
0: (laughs) So maybe like a little earthquake breaks some of the sediment up, which means that a bacteria comes in contact with some fuel source or bacteria to either sexually reproduce or to actually have something to eat for once.
1: Does bacteria sexually reproduce?
0: Sometimes. We've found out more about bacteria that there is some gene exchange sometimes but it's not technically sex so
1: i'm not going there
0: bacteria are just weird <laughs> that's all right
1: they were the first ones to promote ivf
0: <laughs> yeah so these are apparently really long-lived microbes so learning more about these learning more about the long-lived brant's bats and learning more about what the gene expression in mice or mices or mouses happens mises yes exactly mises that's what i was thinking Um, will tell us more about longevity and can hopefully improve not just the human condition, but also the wider animal condition or something like that, and then we can make things better. Now, you know, there are things like the mouse study. Um, It's hard to tell with the genetic expression on, well, they may be living longer, but are they still aging? Is it like the... um, I can't remember which race it was, but from Gulliver's Travels, the people who live forever, yeah, but they just keep getting older and older and older.
1: Yeah, I can't remember that one either.
0: But it seems like, at least with the Brant's Bat, their lifespan is longer than it would be for their size, but it's their normal lifespan. So they do get old at a certain point and die, but that getting old part is longer, so if we can figure out more of these... I was
1: thinking more like that bad Star Trek movie what was it insurrection yeah but that's more man-made sort of ooh, the planet
0: well it was something in the rings of the planet that meant that the people weren't aging yeah it was some radiation and then yeah it was not a great movie except the part where troy and uh, crusher were talking about their boobs
1: somehow i knew that's right where you were gonna go i actually don't mind it it's not a great movie but it's it would have
0: been a good episode but a horrible movie the movies need to be a bit more grand
1: like first contact that was fucking awesome Mm -hmm.
0: movie and the new ones uh, i'm not sure how i feel they're popcorn
1: flicks we've already had this discussion yes a lot of times
0: (laughs) skeptic water interview Okay, we're going to cut in here. Uh, Actually, I lost Donna for a couple minutes while I'm going to do this interview with my friend Susan Gerbick, who I met three years ago at TAM 8 and have since had a good collaboration with some online efforts that she has spearheaded, but also behind the scenes kind of talking about good ideas of what to do for kind of – well, you've coined the guerrilla skepticism idea, but more um, skepticism for slackers. Who may not have a lot of time in their day, but can um, at least do a little something to help out the skeptic movement with a big S and a big M. So Susan Gerbic, welcome to the Skeptic Wire and uh, tell the folks a little bit about yourself.
2: Well, I'm super glad to be on Skeptic Wire. I have listened to your show many times. Woohoo! It's been whenever I've driven. I can think of several trips I've taken, and um, you guys have been with me. And it's really fun, I mean, you know, to get to know people. Of course, I've known you, but I didn't know your cohorts at all. But it's it's great to be in the in the town of Texas, the town of Texas, the state <laughs> of Texas. <laughs> you know, it's great to be there. So, oh, who am I? I'm Susan Gerbick, and I live in Salinas, California, and I've been active in the skeptical movement for about 12 years, but only about three years ago, I decided I have had enough with attending lectures and reading the books and so on, and it was time for me to take responsibility and take a step up to the plate, take a swing and start doing something. It took me a while to figure out what it was I wanted to do. I'm very social, and I'm really good at networking, and I thought that might be my my forte, but Tim Farley is uh, the guy who's really kind of got me going. He is so good with all the tech stuff. He comes up with great ideas and he needs somebody to do them. So that I just put my networking skills together and I started a few projects. I am known as affectionately as the Wikipedia And <laughs> I have a program. I have a, I'm most popularly known as being the person who is changing the world with uh, Wikipedia. I have a hundred and something editors writing in 17 different languages. We are have just celebrated our second anniversary this June. And we are barely beginning, but we are quickly taking over the skeptic movement with um, girl skepticism on Wikipedia. But the thing I think you want me on this show to talk about mostly is something that you guys are doing in conjunction at the same time I am. And that is skeptic action. And that is a one-a-day um thing you can do that will keep paranormal at bay it's um for people who don't have a lot of time that would like to do something fairly easy and educate themselves at the same time and um, it really makes a difference i'm really i guess an expert on crowdsourced activism Mm -hmm. it's over the internet kind of thing
0: so where guerrilla skepticism on wikipedia is improving the world one Wikipedia article at a time. Mm-hmm. Skeptic Action is trying to improve the internet one website at a time right. using some of the tools that we've mentioned on our show, which is the big one is Web of Trust. Mm-hmm. But the other one is the Rebutter. I guess it's a add-on to... The Google Chrome yes, website?
2: Yes, it's, it's a plug-in for Google Chrome. It's only been around a little over a year. Shane Greenup from Australia is a name that you want to pay attention to because he is starting to become um, – being. he's everywhere. He's high energy like I am, and we are good friends, and um, we uh, collaborate on other projects. We have a few other things we're going to be doing and um i really like meeting like-minded people like you greg that are people that we can you know you can count on you know you've done the thing like i have where you've been to the lectures and you've done that kind of stuff and after a while you kind of say to yourself it's time it's my time i I need it i need to put out a podcast or i need to start doing some kind of action and and you know you and i are on the same page and it's it's pretty cool to have met you Wherever I met you at TAM, um, we were trying to think of where it was. I it,
0: it could have been at the Del Mar. It could have, I mean, just kind of walking up to someone and say, Hi, this is my first TAM. How are you? Why does your son have a Pegasus on his shoulder?
2: <laughs> it was a Pegasus. Yeah, that's probably what it was. If Sterling breaks the ice with a lot of people with this pig on his shoulder. And uh, I'm pretty sure that's probably where it was, is that we met at the Del Mar. I remember you in several photos of mine. And then you did a really <laughs> awesome talent show. And I was so impressed that you – Had the nerve to go up there and do that is shot. I mean, I am outgoing, but I am not the type that would get on stage. You did that really awesome Bigfoot song, and I still have the words to it. I love it.
0: It um, it actually was the first time I had performed in public for several years, and I was nervous as all heck. I I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to pick out the notes on the mandolin because my hands were shaking so much.
2: Oh, and I've got your video. It's so cute. And you say, (laughs) and at one point you stop and you say well, hell, I'm up here, not you, so give me a break, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I,
0: I forgot the words, two <laughs> verses in, or something like that, and mm-hmm. I just kind of vamped on the mandolin and had some fun with the audience. But, it uh, was fun. <laughs> I,
2: I like that. You know, I think that's the great thing about all the skeptic conferences that I attend, is that you know that anybody you meet is going to be somebody you're glad you met. They're always interesting. I, I, I hate clicks, Um I'm. I really don't like that kind of thing. I really like meeting new people. I'm the type of person that if I see you at a, a function and you're not with anybody, I'm going to immediately try to include you in my group right. and interview the heck out of you. That's what my as <laughs> I do. I, I really will want to know all about you, and I really love people, and so and I find the most amazing things out. You know, you guys are all so fascinating to me, all a little different, but. Very fascinating. But anyway.
0: It's it's a good place to find out of different ideas, different tools. Maybe a different meetup group has different ideas on how to bring in new members. Or, mm-hmm. like you said, someone like Tim Farley says, well, this might be something people can do. Can go and edit Wikipedia and help just the non-skeptic have a better idea what the real kind of facts are in the situation with citations to back it up. But right. also he brought up the Web of Trust tool as this is mm-hmm. a great thing. I don't have the time for it. Someone else go do it.
2: (laughs) Right. And that's me. I'm the type of person that will pick up the mantle and run with it. I'm not a tech person. I am. I'm a photographer. I'm a baby photographer. I really don't have any skills internet wise. I mean, it's almost laughable that I spend as much time on the internet and I know a lot about it now, but (laughs) I really have no expertise. Whereas at TAM, you've, you have people who are writing code and, um, you know, I, I mean, probably half the people in, at a skeptic conference are affiliated in some way with the uh, computers.
0: Yeah, exactly. And mm-hmm. we can all make a l- difference, at least a little bit of time with something like, web of trust.
2: Right. And web of trust is a really big one. Do you realize how many people have web of trust installed on their computers?
0: I, I actually have no idea. I was, I'm hoping that maybe more people outside the skeptical circles, do it so when we rate a website like say natural news and kind of do both skeptic action and skeptic wire rating them getting all our listeners and followers to rate them all together can actually have a serious impact on a big website like that not just like little you know bob ghost website or something that you know just has one or two ratings but a major website like natural news we can really make a big difference
2: Well, I can tell you exactly how many people have it because if you go to the Web of Trust website, it has a little countdown clock of how many times it's been installed on people as a plug-in. And it is um, – you want to take a guess? One million. 91 million. Wow. 500, 587, 560. One, two, three, four, <laughs> five. It's counting over. Yeah, 91 million people have downloaded Web of Trust and are on their computers. Now, some people may have downloaded it multiple times because they may have needed it for, you know, maybe they crashed their computer and bought a new computer. But 91 million people have installed it. And what I advocate is that the people that need Web of Trust probably don't know that they need it it's something that you know everybody in their family has somebody that they know is not internet savvy and they probably should be not going to websites certain websites they or maybe they don't have the critical skills that we skeptics have and what i advocate is you go to your mom your grandma your neighbor your your aunt whoever it is your uncle and you say hey you know, I'm going to install this, um, you're going to start using Google Chrome, because this is a better, safer search engine, you're gonna like it a lot better. And while you're there, I'm also going to install these other things that are going to help you out. These are safety <laughs> things. These are these are things that will protect you. And you would install Web of Trust, and you would install Grebutter. And this is my new thing I like to spread. Because when somebody goes to a lowly rated web of trust your your listeners all know about what a web of trust what it would look like right if you got a negative site okay so if your aunt elsie and you're not you know so great on the internet and you're scooting around and you go to natural news and you see this big red thing come up here with warning 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 you know she's not going to go through that exactly she's going to steer clear of that and she's going to say oh Oh, that must be one of those viruses I hear about. And she's going to leave that site and you have saved the day. In fact, I have a story I can tell really, really quickly. Um, A young woman was telling me that, and this is why I wanted to get involved with the Web of Trust and start the Skeptic Action Group. is From this one story this woman told me is she had her cousin went to a multi-level marketing website. She was starting to get involved in that. Somebody had told her, Hey, you know, you'd be great to sell our product or whatever it is. So she went and she looked it up on the internet, which is really cool because that's that's one of the things that they don't really want you to do. And a <laughs> web of trust came up. And it was this big red scary thing that that she said, What is this? So she went to her cousin who was more tech savvy and said what is this? You know, I don't, I don't know what this is. And she looked into it and she asked me and I said, well, what she encountered was a web of trust. And it's saying that the site is not, not trustworthy. And, um, you know, and they told me what it was. And I said, yeah, that's a multi-level marketing. And she was stopped right in her track. So she didn't go any further. Now, if that web of trust hadn't been there or she hadn't had a web of trust installed on her computer, she would probably be out quite a bit of money by now. Because I think of, our skeptical movement as a consumer advocacy. We want, you know, if you look at it, you know, of course, I'm anti-psychic, anti-homeopathy and so on. But if you look at it like as a consumer are psychics? You're paying them money. Are you getting anything in return? Are you getting the product that you that you paid for? If you're if you're buying a homeopathic product, are you getting anything financially out of it? And that's I use that as like my elevator speech. What skepticism is? Uh, scientific skepticism is. We want people like Consumer Reports yep. kind of. We yep. want it. We want you to get your value for your money. You and people at heart are all skeptics because you don't want to go to buy a car that's a lemon you don't want you know you you check it out to some extent you're where your money is so that's that's why i'm i really was interested in web of trust whenever tim farley started talking about it i said you know what this sounds good so we are affecting people in major ways if 91 million people have it on their internet and let's say they're a anti-homeopathy person they would never go to a homeopathy site but maybe they would go to um, natural news or maybe they would go to um this mercola guy site um to get thinking that they need to get vitamins or exactly. you know they go there innocently and not knowing anything different because i mean he's got pet products and and you know food facts and he probably has quite a bit of uh, there's health videos there may be some things on here that are actually legitimate to get you kind of sucked into it to make you think that there's something to it i mean he's been around since the 97 so he's obviously <laughs> doing something right but if you look at his website um the web of trust is a like, yellow now we've got to turn that red yeah um, so what know. we're
0: talking about right now is mercola.com mm-hmm. and it's all uh, the main website for a guy named joseph mercola who's a doctor of osteopathy and um basically big on the alt medicine Big on anti-big pharma, anti-vaccines. He also sells equipment like he was rated bad by the Better Business Bureau or the FDA, one of those two, for trying to sell like an infrared camera to diagnose diseases. Oh, really? Um, And also, oh, it was the Better Business Bureau who rated him bad because he didn't honor money-back guarantees. So you've got this guy who says, well, you know, I don't trust those big pharma guys. They're just all about greed and making money, where this guy makes millions of dollars a year off his website selling videos, selling herbal supplements, selling quack machines, all that kind of stuff, and it's very dangerous. So the great part about using Web of Trust to rate someone like Mercola.com is the last few years at Tam you and some others have led a group to go to uh, Sylvia Brown when she does a Mm -hmm. presentation Mm -hmm. and you'll hand out bingo cards or you'll say that she was a convicted felon in that way. You might reach, let's be optimistic and say a couple thousand people. Wow. That's very optimistic. I'd say exactly, (laughs) you know, people may see the sign or something and you kind of reach them and put a bee in their bonnet. Mm -hmm. Whereas with web of trust, you can reach millions of people.
2: Right, and, and I will stand up for the fact that you're 100% right, but Mark Edward, the mentalist, would tell us, and he's, he's the one who led us on the um, last when we did, TAM 2012, with Sylvia Brown, we're not after the believers, we do not want to try to get them to change their minds, we're after Sylvia Brown and her ilk, because those people are so uncomfortable to do their next show not knowing if we may show up we may be in the audience they have no idea what we're going to do next and it's also we put those things together because we want to bond because we're training the people who who protest with us they would never have done it unless mark edward had led us to do it but because they got involved they're more likely to do things like that in the future so yes i'm not out to. we don't want to go after the believers and mercola is like the same thing we were talking about we're probably not going to change the mind of mercola's believers but the people who just venture onto the site by accident and if you look at their scorecard and their comment rating and you can click on that when you go to the Web of Trust. There's a little area to click on comments, and you'll be able to see that he has 22 pages of comments, and those are fascinating to read. And you can leave them yourself. And there's some people on that are talking about how, you know, positive this guy and their and his the reasons why they think this is a um, a good site. I'm reading one right now. It says his business has an A minus rating by the U.S better business bureau and i'm like really um you know and then there's people talking about how it is a, a scam so it's fascinating to read the comments again we're not trying to get the person who's already a believer because they've already drank the right aid i'm not right Aid. the uh, <laughs> flavor aid is what i'm trying to say and uh, they've already drunk drank that and um we're looking at the people who would be you know your aunt elsie who would be kind of scared away from something like this this is this is the fence sitters who don't really understand, but that's where we're at right now. Exactly. I. Also Mercola himself, we're letting him know, hey, we're a force to be reckoned with.
0: <laughs> yep. I was brought to this website. I'd heard the name Mercola before, but this week, a friend of mine, a hippy-dippy kind of girl who um, I'm friends with on Facebook, she posted some article by Mercola about, uh, I think it was natural anti-pest kind of mosquito repellent kind of stuff and some of that is kind of borderline stuff but if you rate someone's main website it carries through to all those sub pages to say it was the kind of thing where yes technically some anti-pest medication can be toxic to people but Mm -hmm. he's also the same kind of guy who says that vaccines are going to kill you and that chemotherapy isn't what you should do or all that kind of stuff Sorry. where if you see Sorry. that someone is associated with that, maybe you'll be embarrassed to post something on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Or if you if you see a true believer post something, you'll know, actually, I'm just going to keep scrolling and ignore that one's posting. Or if you know that there's a rebutter response to that webpage or an article from that webpage, you can just go to look at that and post it on there. It's It's... These are both can be combined as great skeptical tools to warn your friends and help your fellow skeptics out to have resources to say, here's the, I may not be a specialist in vaccinations or something, but Mm -hmm. some other skeptic who's big into vaccinations can look up and rebut the articles on vaccinations on Mercola.com and give me the ammunition I need to talk to a friend on Facebook or Aunt Whozie What's It's to say
2: <laughs> you have an aunt who's he what's it oh wow. no
0: actually last week on the podcast we had been an argument um and i think you've actually been agreeing with me i'm from new jersey so i pronounce it aunt
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh but everybody else is no it's aunt oh like,
2: they say aunt huh? yeah
0: it's like they're all from Downton abbey or something
2: <laughs> <laughs> i always say i've always said aunt but yep. you know I, i'm a rebel so it's hard to say you know <laughs>
0: Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, chat with me, Susan. And hopefully the two of us can work together with my other podcast co-hosts and me as Mm -hmm. well to highlight some big websites in the coming months from time to time. And we'd be happy to have you back on from time to time. Oh, well,
2: you know, I will always – no problem. I'd love to join Skeptic Wire to talk to you about anything. But let your listeners know you can find me at SusanGerbick.com, and that will lead you to my videos, my photos that I take at all the events that I go to, and you might even see photos of yourselves in there. I know (laughs) I've got lots of you, Greg. And um, you can follow me on Skeptic Action. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Google+, and that is where you will see an email a day or a tweet a day, and that will give you a web of choice, web of choice, web of trust Suggestion to go rate. And I do positive and I do negative sites. I do skeptics on science and I also do a lot of pseudoscience. And there's a lot of fun ones in there. So, you know, I totally encourage your listeners. To uh, come check me out. I have 600 followers now, and I only started this in May. So, um, to be able to really make some major difference, I think we need to get into the 6,000s. But I think we're well on our way, and I really, really would appreciate having your listeners come and follow us on uh, Twitter and Facebook or Google Plus. It's all the same place, so just pick the one you're most likely you want to get your information from. They're all, you know. I'm just
0: going to assume that all our listeners are smart and helpful. And they all already listen and follow to both our, yeah. our feeds. So they
2: might—they uh, might actually already be my um, skeptic action followers. So, so tell a friend. Uh, tell a friend. Pass it on your social networks <laughs> and have somebody, um, you know, join up as well. Appreciate you having me on.
0: No problem, Susan. Thanks for joining us. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we never know how to end a podcast anyway. <laughs> okay. Skeptic wire in town.
1: Ramen. Okay, with that, you know what? I want to actually get to some viewer mail. Oh, cool. And we have some, you know, we talk about these things like a couple of weeks ago. We talked about integrative medicine and, and all of this jazz. So I want to announce to everybody that we have a new Twitter follower at Lori Pharmacist for Integrative Farm D. I'm thinking she didn't listen to our episode.
0: Probably some kind of Twitter bot or something that found our stream that we mentioned, Integrative Medicine, at some point and automatically followed us or something like that.
1: And we did get a lot of hits on the coffee episode, apparently, because we've had um, the same spam twice (laughs) uh, about how coffee is the best way to share feelings. And we can share lots with a cup of coffee. Thank you, Kopi Luwak.
0: <laughs> I don't think we need to advertise them.
1: Well, he's got a different name that says that left a comment, and then he signs it regards this guy. So uh, I'm you know. thinking bot again. And another one that we got was from Gerald Evenden. And he was talking about the San Antonio UFO video that we shared. That we all kind of were like very, very snarky upon and gone. No,
0: we, we shat upon it for 20 minutes.
1: Yeah. He says that he would not give the video any credibility because it's far, far too easy. Honestly, I could do it in about five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, like digital photos that can be easily photoshopped with commonly available and often free software, digital movies are modified with equal ease. I have both the animation and video editing software on my Linux system that could easily create a fuzzy spot shown in the video. The video is remarkably crude and typical of those seeking to promote a hoax. Unless the video has provenance signed by a reliable and trusted observers, it is nothing more than trash. And he made this comment on our Facebook page, but we just wanted to say, you know what? You agreed with pretty much everything we said. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Thank you for commenting. We love getting viewer mail, even if it's the no, you were wrong. We actually, <laughs> actually, we like to no, you were wrong. Yeah. We, you know, we want to hear from our listeners. Um, Gerald that-
0: did agree with us. I want to unpack that just yes. for a second. He did agree with us, and I would totally agree with him that especially a single Photoshop picture can be really easily faked. That kind of thing. But my opinion on at least the San Antonio video we reviewed a few weeks ago was that the the default position has to be at least in that situation, that they probably are just believers anomaly hunting in a bad video. Yes. That if you're going to fake something, that is that is a crappy way to fake it. <laughs> right,
1: exactly. Because
0: I, th- I think the overlaying of the video with the, the title and the battery bar and whatever, I think that was just crappy techniques in that they had the video of the UFO running on one TV screen and they were recording it with another camera so they could do... Basically graphics or commentary the cheap way rather than in like iMovie or something like that. So my default position is that is to be at least a little kind to these people in that I don't think that they're trying to manipulate anybody or trying to make a quick buck. I think people like these guys are true believers who just don't know how video cameras work, who don't know enough like Donna does or Gerald does. To be able to create something convincingly fake that they would need some actual providence on for trusted observers and proof that it was on the day they said and all that kind of stuff.
1: Right. And either that or all of them, the UFOs, the Loch Ness Monster, Bigfoot, the Chupacabra, they're either all fuzzy. That's that's the answer that I've come up with. Either they don't really exist or they are just intentionally that fuzzy.
0: Right. The, the, those beings have invol- evolved to be fuzzy. fuzzy. Yes.
1: Right. That no camera can pick up a clear picture of them. <laughs> that's honestly right now the only answer that I have yeah. that's not, dude, you're an idiot. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and one last thing, or at least for me on viewer mail, is we did get a posting to our Facebook page by Nicole, who posted a video about what if straight was gay and gay was straight, uh, I didn't get a chance to, to see it because apparently YouTube broke the link or something like that, uh, but was asking us to take a look at it. And, you know, we, we talk about LGBT issues on the show a quite lot. often because it is important to us as far as our view of skepticism, because everybody has a different view of important topics to talk about mm-hmm. skepticism. Some people it's religion some people it's vaccines and for some people they apply their skepticism to how people are treated gender wise or orientation wise right
1: because like if it wasn't for skeptic wire recording tonight i would be at our city hall voicing my opinion on the anti-discrimination ordinance that we have going fyi mm-hmm. i don't want to see discrimination in our town
0: yeah the ordinance <laughs> is to say that you cannot discriminate on um i think it's orientation Um, gender preference in that um, gender expression right gender and veterans veterans so which is
1: a very weird combination
0: it's just three groups that were left off but it seems that certain council members have been outed as being extremely anti gay and a lot of the religious community has come out on both sides actually of the issue and right and give credit to where credit is due because there have been some Christian and plenty of jewish groups that have come out and saying you know let's be all positive and include inclusive of everybody so we do want these anti-discrimination things on the book in san antonio but you also got plenty of the old conservative bible thumpers saying we don't want this we want to be able to discriminate because they're always claiming it's because of our free speech and religious expression right but maybe next but week we we'll talk have, about this we should
1: <laughs> have actually the the vote should be i think it's this week I think it's
0: tomorrow, Thursday, the yeah, 5th. Yeah,
1: so we'll probably be talking about it because it's made national headlines.
0: And we mentioned it last week, we mentioned it this, this week. week. It's so. kind of in our wheelhouse because we're here in San Antonio. And like the the video of the UFO from San Antonio, if something crosses our Venn diagram of skepticism and where we're living because we know that certain other very famous podcasts are probably not going to talk about it. We'll talk about it. Yeah, well. <laughs> but, uh, Nicole, if you have another link for this movie and still want us to talk about it, feel free to post it on there. And if you guys have any suggestions for stories or other videos you'd like us to comment on or whatever, feel free to post them to our Facebook page or, or send us an email via the email that's at the end of the episode that I can't remember at this point. Feel free to communicate with us because we want this to be a two, two-way street. Exactly. I think we're going to wrap things up, and I think Donna's going to give us a summary of what we learned today. But before we go, I do want to thank Susan Gerbich for joining us briefly for the Web of Trust website versus website segment.
1: Yes, thank you.
0: And um, I'll hand it off to Donna to finish us out.
1: So, what did we learn tonight on The Skeptic Wire? Only we on looked- The
0: Skeptic Wire or in general?
1: I guess in general.
0: Okay, because that's going to take more time. Maybe just narrow it down to what to we learned Skeptic on the Wire?
1: show. Okay. Yeah. We learned that today, the 4th of September, is Dr. Drew's birthday and we're still undecided of whether or not he's a good guy or a complete huckster who makes money off of people. Haven't really decided. We'll leave that up to you, listeners. We've learned that, oh my god, there's there was nuclear stuff coming out of Fukushima, but it's not coming to America where it can get into our Tylenol and make us need neutron cream.
0: Or at least not coming to America as fast and as deadly as some reports say. Say. Because few stray atoms may reach us in America. We can't. We have to be skeptical.
1: Right. Fukushima is the homeopathy of oceans. (laughs) We learn that there is a new element. Element unpentium or 115. And apparently it is UFO fuel. And it doesn't matter if you're a mouse or a bat. You might live longer. Hopefully this will translate into humans sometime in the near future. But, hey, we don't know because the studies aren't out yet on humans, just on bats and rats or mice or meese or (laughs) some sort of animal. Um, See, now
0: I don't feel so bad mispronouncing that. Thank you.
1: That's what we learned tonight. Once again, you know, contact us. We love hearing from viewer mail. We will probably feature you if you actually write us. (laughs) Thank you for joining us. I'm Donna Swaffer tonight here with Greg Perrine. Bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye. The Skeptic Wire podcast theme music is by Oscar Lawn with guest mandolin by Greg Perrine. If you've enjoyed listening to The Skeptic Wire, leave a review on iTunes or leave us a voice message via the pod posted app for iPhone. Friend us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at The Skeptic Wire. Follow our blog at skepticwire.blogspot.com or send us an email skepticwire at gmail.com. You've been listening to The Skeptic
2: Wire. You're still here? It's over. Go home. go